Hello, my fellow divers, and welcome back to another episode of Crime Dive, where we take a deep dive into crime. I'm your host, Lexi. Thank you so much for listening and watching. If you're new, welcome to the water. We're so happy to have you. If you're returning, welcome back to the water. We missed you and thank you for coming back to take another deep dive into crime with us. As always, please be sure to check out our episode description. There you can find the links to my TikTok and Instagram as well as a link to help us out over here at Crime Dive. I'm also gonna start putting the links to my actual podcast so that way you guys can listen from here as well. You can also find my email in the episode description for any business inquiries. So I apologize if there's any noise in the background. It's pouring down raining right now, which is honestly a perfect day for me to get a lot of work done, a lot of editing. In case you guys don't know, I've said this in some of my episodes, I produce this podcast all on my own. I do all of the audio, I do all of the video, the editing, everything like so my editing schedule was a little bit different last week in case you didn't notice i dropped a video on a saturday and it's audio on tuesday so i don't normally do that so i might start uploading on saturdays i'm not sure yet but i think i'll still keep my audio on tuesdays i also want to say thank you so much for a thousand views the kim wall video that i posted got over a thousand views you guys have been so supportive the comments that i've been reading are so sweet and I want to thank you guys so much. It really means a lot to me because I do put so much time and effort into this podcast and this YouTube. So to be getting the love, I really appreciate it. I also wanted to address something else where people have been asking if I could put subtitles on my video. Let me know in the comments how to do that. Because when I look it up, I don't know if I'm just not computing. It's confusing to me. I don't know why. Because I always assumed that closed captioning, that was the subtitles, but I guess not. So yeah, let me know how to do that. Or if you have a little bit more knowledge on it, please feel free to drop it in the comments because I thought I was doing it, but I guess I wasn't. So just wanna apologize for that. If you have some tips on how to do that, please let me know. But with all that being said, let's get right into today's case. Today, we're going to be talking about the murder of 11-year-old Robert Yummy Sandifer. This case is really sad and it's very shocking because it casts a light on just how bad the gang violence issue is in Chicago if children are getting brought into this life and caught up into it. And it's truly, truly a cautionary tale of what happens to children who slip through the cracks. But with that, let's get right into the case. Robert Yummy Sandifer was born on March 12, 1983 in Chicago, Illinois. His parents' names were Lorena Sandifer and Robert Akins. Yummy was his nickname because he enjoyed sweets and his favorite sweets were cookies. Now, Lorena was actually 15 when she had Yummy, and she was also addicted to crack cocaine. At the time Yummy was born, his father was in prison on drug-related charges. Yummy was the fourth of 10 siblings, and when he was only three years old, he and his siblings were actually sent to live with their grandmother, Janny Field, after his mother was deemed unfit to take care of all of them. In fact, Yummy actually faced abuse at the hands of his mother. There were cigarette burns found on him as well as a lot of cuts and bruises. Social workers just decided that his home just wasn't a safe environment for him to grow up in. So as I said, he and his siblings were taken to live with their grandmother. Now, his grandmother's house had a lot of people in it. There were at least 20 people living there. It wasn't much of a better environment. He still wasn't given the attention and the nurturing that he needed because there were just so many people there. It was hard to watch everyone. And when you're a little kid and you're left to your own devices with very little supervision, it definitely gives way to a lot of behavioral issues. By the time Yummy was eight years old, he had already dropped out of school, which I didn't even know was legal. I feel like it's not, but 
that was back in the 80s so maybe it was i really don't know the fact that somebody so young had already dropped out of school just goes to show that he just wasn't being supervised because he had just dropped out of school he's not spending his days in a structured environment so he spent a lot of time on the streets yummy was robbing stealing bullying other kids he would take their bikes and he would shake them down for whatever they had in their pockets yummy would even get in fights with other kids in the neighborhood. He was just very troubled. Over time, the amount of people in his grandmother's house actually doubled. So remember when I said it was 20? Yeah, now it's 40. So he's getting even less attention than he already was, and he wasn't getting much in the first place. Eventually, social workers realized that Janie's house just wasn't a good environment for her grandson or any of the Sandifer siblings. So they were all transferred out and Yummy was placed in the Lawrence Hall Youth Services Children's Shelter, but he absolutely hated it there. So much so that he ended up running away and going back to his grandmother's house because that was really the only place that he knew. Eventually, Yummy was caught at his grandmother's house because he wasn't supposed to be there and he was placed in a detention facility. At this point, Yummy really doesn't feel like he has any place to turn. His grandmother's house has been deemed unfit for him to live in, so he's not allowed to go there. He wasn't really getting any attention there in the first place. His father's not around, his mother's hardly around, and she's addicted to drugs. He really doesn't have any adults in his life to give him supervision, nurturing, love, or attention. He's really just out there on his own. Because of this he began acting out and normally children from urban areas if they feel like they don't have a place to go and no one to turn to they usually resort to joining a gang because they know that there's going to be people there that are going to surround them watch over them and protect them it almost gives them a sense of family and that's exactly what yummy sandifer did and he joined the black disciples a very infamous gang in Chicago. So let's talk about the climate of Chicago at this time, specifically where it relates to gangs. In the 80s and 90s, there were two groups called the Black Disciples, which was Yummy Sandifer's gang, and the Gangster Disciples, and they were their rival gang. Back in the 1980s, the crack epidemic really took over urban impoverished black areas. And because of this, street drug dealers saw this as an opportunity to make a lot of money. As there were more drugs circulating on the streets, there was more money to be made. And the Black Disciples and the Gangster Disciples began to fight over drug territory. Of course, as there's more money circulating, the stakes get higher, so does the violence. And there was a huge turf war between the two of them that's actually still going on today. Over time, the rivalry turned very deadly and so much so that innocent residents were getting caught in the crosshairs between the Black Disciples and the Gangster Disciples. They would carry out all of their issues in their local neighborhoods. So if you lived nearby, your chances of getting caught in the crosshairs of a gunfight were very high. Is there a lot of shooting around here? Yes. Yeah, especially on 108th, the 108th Street. 108th. How long has this shooting been going on? Years? Months? Well, months. No, a few weeks. Weeks. Months and weeks. Yeah, months and weeks. It Are just you? started back um last week over the gangs. Are you scared when you go outside? No. Sometimes. I'm not scared. Mm -hmm. When is it worse? At night. When? Yeah, at night. Cause Cause that's when they somebody shooting close to your house. Scared to get by the window. Yeah. That might shoot through the window and shoot you. There was a 
practice that gangs in the 80s and I'm pretty sure they do this now as well would do so that way they could minimize the risk of facing consequences for what they were doing and the way they did this was probably the craziest thing I've ever heard they would recruit children to sell their drugs for them. Now in the state of Illinois, children under 13 cannot be sent to prison. So they faced less risk if they were arrested. And usually if somebody is not arrested or sent to prison or given a sentence, their chances of snitching decrease. They don't need to make a deal to get out of probation. They don't need to make a deal to get out of getting a citation. Usually they're just let back on the streets. Gang leaders knew that they weren't going to get in as much trouble as they might because the gang leaders, they were a little bit older. And this is exactly what Yummy did. He was recruited by a leader of the Black Disciples to go out in his neighborhood and sell drugs for them. And he was what they called a shorty, meaning that he was in the faction of gang members of the Black Disciples that were at the lowest rank, meaning they had to listen to any orders they were given by any gang member that was ranked above them. Now, because these children were out there on the front lines selling drugs directly in the streets, they faced a lot of risk to be killed or arrested. So they were taking a lot of risk doing a lot of the dirty work and they were so young. But this is what the gang leaders would do. They would prey on young vulnerable children who needed a place to turn because they weren't getting that attention at home. And unfortunately, this was the reality for Yummy Sandifer. He felt a sense of family in his gang members and he felt like they were his family. They were the people that were looking out for him and watching him. He had gotten removed from his mother and his grandmother by this point. So this is where he decided to go. So as I said, at the time Yummy joined the Black Disciples, there was a really bad gang war going on between them and their rival, the Gangster Disciples. He was racking up a record longer than his age. By the time Yummy was 11, he had 23 felonies and five misdemeanors. And I think his harshest punishment was two years of probation. He was pretty much untouchable is what he felt like. He wasn't really facing any consequences for what he was doing because he was so young. And this is exactly why older gang members would recruit young children to do their dirty work for them because they knew they weren't gonna face the same consequences as they might. Yummy was a full-blown gang member before he was even a teenager. He was robbing people, stealing cars, stealing out of stores, bullying, fighting, selling drugs, and he was so young. A lot of people in the neighborhood really did not care for Yummy. They felt like he was terrorizing the neighborhood because he was just always stealing from houses, stealing from cars, bullying other kids, terrorizing other children. And a lot of people really felt like, you know, he, this is a bad kid. You know, where are his parents? What are they doing? Why is he just roaming the streets, carrying out all of these crimes and no one's doing anything about it? He just kept getting released. Mm -hmm. What was he like? Bad. Bad? Like when you say bad, what do you mean? Fighting still, breaking the people out. And all of the adults in his life pretty much just let him go. They weren't watching him. They weren't supervising him, trying to figure out what he was doing. They literally just allowed him to carry out all of these crimes and terrorize the neighborhood. And they had to have known it was going on. If other people know it's going on, they do too. But they were just too caught up in taking care of other children. And as I said, Yummy's mother, Lorena, was addicted to drugs. So this definitely made it harder for her to watch her son and all of her kids for that matter. 
Now, the longer you stay in this lifestyle, the worse you're going to get as far as the crimes you commit. They're only going to increase. And in the beginning, Yummy was mainly getting into fights, he was selling drugs, and petty theft. Not that any of those things aren't bad, obviously, especially for a child. Over time, his crimes began to get worse and worse. And eventually, he bought a gun to gain more street cred and respect. But things would only get worse. In late August of 1994, Yummy was ordered by a Black Disciples leader to carry out a hit for them. So Yummy did just that. As I said, he was a part of the faction where he had to listen to anything that a gang member told him to do. So that's what he did. And on August 28th, 1994, Yummy went right down the street from where he lived on 108th Street and Perry Avenue in the Roseland neighborhood of Chicago and he opened fire into a large crowd. He ended up hitting 16-year-old Keonta Britton, and he shot him twice in the back. Now, Keonta was said to be a rival gang member of the Black Disciples. Now, luckily, Keonta did survive and was able to tell police who shot him, and he said the person who shot him was none other than Yummy Sandifer. Now, Yummy was known around town. He had been in trouble a lot. He had been in and out of jail since he was eight years old. So police knew very well who he was from the neighborhood and from how many times he had been arrested. After Yummy shot Keonta, he went just a street over around the corner and he came across 16-year-old Sammy C.A. and he shot him in the hand, who was also said to be a rival gang member. He also shot 14-year-old Siobhan Dean, who was right down the street from her house. She had no gang affiliation whatsoever, so she was really truly caught in the crosshairs of a gang rivalry that she had no part in. Siobhan was actually walking a friend home after a barbecue had happened in the neighborhood. According to Sammy, he heard three shots go off and he immediately ducked to the ground because he didn't want to get hit. But it wasn't until he got on the ground that he realized that he'd actually been shot in the hand. So immediately he gets up and he runs as fast as he can to save his own life. As he was running away, he saw Siobhan get shot in the head. Now Siobhan, like I said, had been walking her friend home from a barbecue and her house was right next to where she had been hit. Her mother said that she was in the house when she heard the shots and she told her children to come inside, but she didn't know that Siobhan was walking a friend home and that she had already left. Siobhan's uncle actually ran up to the house and told Siobhan's mother to call 911 because Siobhan had been shot. And when they went up to her, they saw that she did actually have a pulse. But by the time police got there, it was too late. And Siobhan Dean was pronounced dead at the scene at only 14 years old. Let's talk about Siobhan Dean. She was born on November 21st, 1979 in Chicago, Illinois. And her mother's name was Deborah Dean. Siobhan was described as being well-behaved, cheerful, she was outgoing, and she absolutely loved doing hair. At the time Siobhan was killed, she was actually learning how to do hair because she aspired to be a beautician. In the day she was killed, she had done hair for eight clients, and she was getting a lot better at what she was doing because that was her goal, that was her dream. She loved making things beautiful, and she herself was absolutely beautiful. Siobhan had just graduated eighth grade and she was really looking forward to going into high school, which is a very exciting time for any kid. I mean, she had just turned 14. She's gonna start going to a new school. She's gonna meet new people and she's gonna be with her friends. She could not wait to start that new chapter for her life. But unfortunately, it was robbed from her and she did absolutely nothing wrong. 
the fact that you can live somewhere and just be outside and get caught in the crosshairs of something so heinous that has absolutely nothing to do with you is tragic. And unfortunately, this is the reality for a lot of children who live in Chicago and a lot of families. They can't even play outside without fear that they may be shot and killed. And the fact that going right outside of your home is a risk to your life really says a lot about how bad this issue was in this town and in this neighborhood. And Siobhan, unfortunately, fell victim to it. And the fact that she was killed by another child just goes to show that this issue is even bigger and even more tragic, that her life could be taken by somebody that was much younger than her. After Yummy carried out these attacks, he immediately went on the run because he realized that he did in fact kill someone. Now, it wasn't very easy to evade the police for long in this neighborhood because everybody knew who Yummy was, including the police. There were between 20 and 30 cops searching for Yummy at all times. They were even searching in Milwaukee, two to three hours away from Chicago, because according to police, Yummy had family that actually lived there and they figured that he may seek refuge there. They were also going around the neighborhood, knocking on people's doors to see if anybody had seen Yummy. But Yummy wasn't just running on his own, he had some help. As I said, when you join a gang, this becomes your surrogate family. Local gang members were hiding Yummy out in safe houses and abandoned buildings, helping him hide from the police because they don't want him to get caught. Because if he does, he might go to prison because he did in fact kill someone. He may sing like a canary if he gets caught. And when I say that, I mean he may start snitching. So gang members did not want Yummy to get caught because they were afraid of what he might reveal to the police. By August 31st, Yummy had been on the run for three days, but he decided that he was done. So he called his grandmother and asked her if they could meet on 95th Street in Chicago. And she agreed. She brought him some clothes that he could change into so she could take him home. His grandmother, Jenny, got there and she waited for Yummy to arrive, but he never showed up. And she waited for hours, well into the night. And by 10 p.m., she decided to leave. Yummy wasn't coming to 95th Street. He actually decided to go to his neighbor's house, a woman named Cassandra Cooper. And when she saw Yummy, she recognized him immediately. And she said, hey, what's going on? Are you okay? I'm sure by that point, she knew police were looking for him. And Yummy stood on her porch and said, can you please call my grandmother and tell her to come get me? He was done and he was ready. Cassandra says, absolutely. I will call your grandmother, stay right here. So Yummy stays on the porch while Cassandra goes to call his grandmother. But when she comes back, Yummy's gone. And Cassandra's like, where did Yummy go? You know, where is he? And her daughter, who was also there, actually saw Yummy leave with another man. And this man was none other than 14-year-old Derek Hardaway, a fellow gang member. He told him, I can take you out of town. My brother's right over here, let's go. And his brother was 16-year-old Craig Hardaway. They both take Yummy and see if they can possibly get him out of town. So it seems like Yummy was kind of going back and forth between wanting to turn himself in and wanting to stay on the run. And when somebody gave him an offer to leave town, he took it. Now Cassandra Cooper by this point decided to call police around 11.30 and let them know that Yummy Sandifer had just been at her home and that he had left. I don't think she necessarily wanted him to get in trouble, but I think she just wanted him to be found so that way he could at least be safe. So Yummy goes with his two fellow gang members, brothers Derek and Craig Hardaway, and they're getting ready to take him out of town. But what Yummy didn't know was that there had actually been a hit ordered on him. And the leaders of the Black Disciples had asked Craig Hardaway and Derek Hardaway to do it. And here's why. 
Now, I mentioned it a few times earlier how gang leaders really wanted children to carry out their crimes because they knew the chances of them getting evicted or sent to prison were much lower. Usually if people get a prison sentence, they try to negotiate terms to get this sentence lessened. These negotiations or this immunity is usually in the form of turning other gang members in. They knew that Yummy was most likely going to be arrested for what he had done to Siobhan. And they didn't want that because they knew Yummy's an impressionable 11 year old kid. If he gets in front of a police officer, he's most likely going to share a lot of information. And they figured that Yummy just knew too much. And at this point, he had become a liability. He had botched the hit that he was supposed to carry out earlier. So they wanted to take him out. These two gang members of his that were under the guise of trying to help him and get him out of town were really trying to get him isolated so they could kill him. And because Yummy knew these two boys and he knew that they were a part of his gang, he trusted them. He didn't think they would ever do anything to hurt him. Now, Craig had actually been ordered to carry out the hit and he didn't want his little brother there. So according to Derek, Craig actually dropped him off at home before he carried out the hit against Yummy. Craig then drove Yummy over to a dark tunnel filled with graffiti. And that's where he shot Yummy execution style in the back of the head twice. In the early morning hours of September 1st, 1994, around 12.30 a.m., a pedestrian actually flagged down a passing police car because they had found the body of a young boy. Police went over to see what was going on and they found the body of 11-year-old Robert Yummy Sandifer underneath a viaduct on 108th Street in Dauphin. As I said, Yummy was shot in the back of the head twice, execution style, and there were three empty shell casings found next to his body that matched the bullet wounds. It was an unusually chilly September night in 1994, as the body of an 11-year-old was loaded into the back of an ambulance. He had been shot twice in the back of the head, in a hit ordered by the leaders of the Black Disciples. Now, it didn't take long for police to find out who did this because, as I said, people in the neighborhood, they knew who they were and it didn't take long for people to realize that 14-year-old Derek Hardaway and 16-year-old Craig Hardaway were the two people who carried out this attack against Yummy. Now, as I said, according to Derek, Craig actually dropped him off at home home, but police believed that Derek was actually driving the getaway car and that Craig was the one who pulled the trigger. Ultimately, they were both found guilty of the murder of Robert Yummy Sandifer. Derek was given 45 years for being the getaway driver and Craig was given 60 years for being the person who pulled the trigger. Yummy's funeral was held on September 7th, 1994 at the Youth Center of God and Christ in Chicago. And his autopsy actually showed a lot of scars and burn marks from the abuse that he had faced very early on in his life. All of you children that are standing here, looking down, take a good look. And I want you to say within your heart, that you'll never end up like Robert. Okay? Cry if you will. But make up your mind that you will never let your life end in tragedy like this. The fact that Yummy was killed after he had just killed someone just shows the violent cycle of life that took place in Chicago at this time and still goes on. I mean, he went from being the hunter to the hunted in literally a matter of days and he was killed by his own 
gang, the people that he turned to when he felt like he had no family to turn to, when he felt alone and neglected. These are the people that he looked to to raise him and be there for him and support him. And the fact that they're the ones who ended up killing him is just such a tragic tale and twist of events. It just goes to show these people that recruit you to do your dirty work for you at the end of the day, they really don't care about you specifically. They just want to use you for what they can get out of you. At the end of the day, they're all about their business, they're all about their money, and they have no problem getting rid of you if you become a threat to that. On September 19th, over a week after Yummy had been killed, his mugshot was featured on the cover of Time magazine. People were absolutely shocked when they saw his mugshot because Yummy was so small. He was already so young, but Yummy was very short for his age and he was small in stature. So this made people even more shocked to see such a young child with a mugshot having been killed by their own gang. And it just makes you have so many questions. Why does he have a mugshot at such a young age? Why was he in a gang at such a young age? And how was he killed by said gang? at such a young age. This picture just told so many stories and left so much to the imagination of just why? How did this young child end up in such a horrible, desperate situation? Yummy's story quickly gained national attention after his death because like I said, people were just in shock at how young he was for having gone through as much as he did. Now there were very mixed reactions to Yummy's death in Chicago, specifically in the Roseland neighborhood where Yummy was from. Some people were very sad because they felt like, you know, he was such a young kid, he didn't have any guidance, he didn't have any help, and he was left to the, his own devices. And when you're 11, you can't be left to your own devices. He just wasn't watched. Some residents said that they saw a different side of Yummy. They saw someone who was sweet, he was funny, he liked all the things that little kids liked he just needed a little bit of love and he seemed kind of quiet you know he respects me and um he liked to be with me i never had a i never had one minute um a problem with that young man robert sandifred robert is my grandson and i love him and we hope everybody else loves him in spite of what somebody said i don't care what nobody said robert is mine he always have been mine and I love him, and if I could give him part of my heart, I would bring him back as of today. Now there were other people in the neighborhood who said they honestly didn't mind that Yummy was gone because he terrorized the neighborhood. He stole from them, he bullied their children, he got in fights, he caused a lot of uproar in the community. I mean, it shocked me he shouldn't have got killed like that. I mean, he didn't have to die the way he was killed, but... That's the life you live, that's what happened. I understand it can be hard to sympathize with a child who carried out such a horrible crime, such as killing someone, because he did in fact take Siobhan's life. However, I do think the adults in his life are definitely more to blame because they allowed him to fall into this life of crime and they didn't do anything about it. They didn't do anything. They just let him continue going deeper and deeper into this hole of violence and crime and gangs and they didn't do anything to stop it. First of all, you give them love. And that was the main thing that was lacking from a baby. They must have love. Secondly, they must have discipline within their life to learn the differences between right and wrong. Thirdly, they must be shown compassion and responsibility. They have to be accountable for their actions, take responsibility for their actions. And fourthly, you have to let them go. Once they get to a certain age where they make their own decisions, right or wrong, they learn to live by them and apples don't fall too far from the tree. If they go astray, they don't stay straight long once they have the basic foundations for life. 
if they don't have them, then they're already lost. As of today, the home that Yummy Sandifer was raised in has actually been bulldozed. And it's kind of, to me, it's just the end of another really sad part of the story that the place that he had called home, I guess, is now gone. It's just a true symbol to the fact that he had no home, that he really never had a home. The home that he even thought he had is just gone now. Derek Hardaway was released from prison in 2016 on parole and he's now in his 40s. Craig Hardaway is still in prison and he's also in his 40s, but he'll be up for parole in 2024, so next year. Both brothers got their GEDs and associate's degrees while they were in prison and they have committed to turning their lives around. Craig hopes to be able to speak to Yummy's family one day when he's released from prison so he can answer any questions that they may have. But unfortunately, Yummy's mother, Lorena, will never get these answers. She passed away in 2005 at the age of 39 after suffering complications from surgery so she'll never get the answers of why this happened to yummy i do want to show you a quick clip of his mother speaking about yummy's death and it's pretty interesting what did what do you mean you say you can't believe that this happened why it's reality it's happening all over every day nationwide action to yummy dying just shows how desensitized people in this community are to violence. I mean for her to just say that's life, that's what happens, for her own child to have been killed in such a horrible way after committing a very similar crime just goes to show that this happens way too often in this community. I also think too that his mother is not, clearly she's not in the right state of mind. Otherwise, she wouldn't have been deemed unfit to take care of her children. Addiction at the end of the day is a sickness and given her past, she also wasn't given the tools to succeed. So it's very hard for her to pass that along to her children when she herself does not have them. Siobhan's mother, Deborah Dean, decided to create a memorial garden in her honor and it's full of beautiful red flowers and herbs. She also made a bench out of wood so she could just sit there and be with her daughter and honor her memory. Mine was a beautiful young lady who was ambitious. Um, she had many friends. She loved to do hair. Uh, she loved dancing. She, she was just a beautiful young woman looking forward to go to high school. When I walked up to her, it was just like, I knew she was gone. It was the feeling that you get inside. And all my baby wanted to do was just go to school and become somebody. And she didn't get that chance. So. Now, although she created the garden for Siobhan, she hopes one day to be able to add the pictures of other children that have also become casualties to the gang violence in their neighborhood. She said that this is for them. It's not just for Siobhan. Deborah said she really wishes that Yummy was still alive so she can ask him questions about why he did what he did. She's assuming that Siobhan most likely got hit by accident, but the simple fact is it still happened. Now, the crazy thing is, Deborah Dean actually used to take Yummy to church when he was much younger. She would take him with her family, including Siobhan. This was something that was very common in Chicago, specifically the Roseland neighborhood. If there was a child that was from a very big family that struggled to take care of all of them, they would oftentimes take these children with them to do family outings 
along with their family. So Deborah Dean would oftentimes take Yummy to church with her and her kids so he could just get some interaction, a little bit more attention, and she would even give him sweets. So the fact that he ended up being the person who killed her daughter, even if it was by accident, is just one of the worst full circle coincidences that I could imagine in this case. I mean, this was somebody that she looked after, somebody that she tried to care for as her own, and he ended up killing one of her children. Deborah also said that she has lost three nephews to gun violence since the death of her daughter, which just goes to show how big this issue is. She's now lost four family members to gun violence, including her own child. Yummy's story really became a national staple. I mean, he became the symbol for what happens to children when they slip through the cracks at a very early age. It just goes to show that this can happen to anyone if they're not given the proper guidance and attention. His death really cast a bright light on the gang violence issue in Chicago because no one expects somebody so young to get caught up in something so violent for so long. He had been in this life of crime and violence since he was eight years old. Eight years old and I'm like, I try to think about what I was doing at eight years old and how much I did not know. And to be making such permanent decisions and doing such adult things at such a young age with no life experience. This is an epidemic because Yummy is not the only person. There are a lot of Yummies out there. And, and that's sad to say because he faced such a violent demise and he had such a hard, violent life. And this is something that happens all too often. Where are the parents? Where are the adults? Who is watching him? Why aren't they watching him? I mean, it's this very, very violent cycle that just goes around and around. And it's almost like it doesn't stop. It either ends with you being dead or in jail. Yummy really has a complicated legacy because people argue whether, you know, they're like, he did this very horrible thing. He took someone's life. He took someone's family member, somebody's daughter, someone's niece, and he's traumatized people forever. Even the children who were shot, I mean, I'm sure they had issues as well because they were also in gangs and they were shot by someone. They could have potentially been killed too. Yes, Yummy did this horrible thing, but as I said, he was never given the tools to succeed. His family life was very troubled. He wasn't being given the love and attention that a child needs, which caused him to act out and feel like he had to turn to a gang in order to get the attention that he needed. I definitely think the adults in his life failed him. They truly, truly failed him. The part of this case that's the most tragic for me is the fact that these kids make such life altering choices at such a young age. And it doesn't just alter their life. It alters their family's life. It alters the life of the victims. It just affects so many people. These children don't even realize what they're doing. They don't realize the consequences of their actions, but yet they're changing people's lives forever, including their own. This story is very shocking. And in my opinion, it is a cautionary tale of what can happen when a child is left to their own devices in a really bad neighborhood. But with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap up today's episode. We'll be back next week with another episode and we will be posting on Tuesdays and Saturdays now, hopefully. Thank you so much for listening and watching and I hope to see you in the water soon. Mm -hmm.